Welcome everyone and welcome to Film Shrapnel, your number one spot for everything movies. My name's Tobias and this is my co-anchor Craig. Co-wanker? Co-wanker. My co-wanker Craig. It just sounds like we sit in a dark room together watching movies, uh, communally doing some... No, well, if we're co-wankers, I would mind that. (laughs) How are you, Craig? You sound cheerful today. I'm in a very good mood, yeah. Uh, Excellent. I've been... So today we're doing Hellraiser and Hellbound. One and two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've been waiting to talk about this for a long time. So I never watched it. You kind of convinced me because you said, oh, no, actually, it's quite... It's a bit more complicated because I used to think it was just like torture porn because I didn't know anything about it. I've seen like images of Pinhead. I just think it's about some pain shit going on. I, I, I well, know, like sore. We we do pleasure in the delights of pain. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. But it is pretty complex. Like, not complex necessarily, but like, it's smarter than it looks. At least There's the first one. There's a lot going one. on. Yeah. Yeah, so... There's, there's a lot going on. I really like... Certainly the first one, it's one of my all-time favourite horror films. I think it's... It's just special. It's just a special movie. It's really, really good. It's really well written. Like, yeah. I like how it's really, it feels very character driven, um, which you don't really get in many like horror films where it's very, uh, you, the characters are very bland and it's mostly situational. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, I do, but- yeah. No, I was going to say, uh, don't you find it interesting that, the certainly the first one it's a movie about it I, I would say julia is not only the bad guy but i'd also say she's the main character and you know obviously kirsty the daughter she's the heroine of the of the film but i would absolutely say that julia we get the most character development from her we see her most of the time on screen and like, and I'd also say she's the most compelling character as well. Um, yeah, I so agree. Yeah. And it's not really for something that's about opening doors to hell. The first one is really most of the movie. The crux of the movie is like seduction and luring people into you know getting killed. You know, it's and less about you know demons and shit but the demons and shit are there yeah and they only play a small role and like mm. i i you know what character i find the most well apart from julia julia obviously is very good um but i also really like frank as a bad guy yeah frank's a great bad guy yeah and he's so much more interesting than pinhead who becomes like the main uh focus point of much of the franchise because i think they made like what 10 films or something or more i'm not sure how I, many they made yeah i think they're into like the 12th or 13th one something yeah. like that and i think they're remaking the first now or i don't i'm not sure if it's going to be a tv series or um a sequel or a remake of the original film i had a look at it i watched the trailer some people seem to like it i think it looks a bit naff to be honest uh, it just looks too stylized, which I don't think is the right way to go. 
That's just well, my opinion. I mean, but I, I would say that the first Hellraiser is stylized in its own way, in in that Clive Barker fashion. Should we just jump in? Should we jump into talking about these movies? Let's do it. So okay. let's start with Hellraiser. Like, obviously. Um, for, off the bat, what did you think? Because you'd never seen this before. So you convinced me that this is a good film. And it's amazing, right. yeah. Uh, I really like watching this film. When I was watching, I actually watched this about three times now. And mm -hmm. the first time I watched it, uh, I stopped it for a minute and turned to my wife and said, you know what, I really like this film. And then like about 30 minutes later, I stopped it again. It's like, you know what, yeah, I really like this film. It's really good. <laughs> so I, I I was really impressed. Like, as I said, like for me, I, like, I think with us, I think sometimes like what really gets me is if, that it's not well written or if it's very yeah. well written i love it but you sometimes i think you're a bit more liberal on that you don't mind it so much as long as like no, I, the action yeah, I, and the effects and stuff are good so like, we have a slight different well no but so, sometimes, sometimes sometimes like the if the writing is like a weak point but like other aspects of the film sort of make up for it, then yeah, I'm sort of game for a bit of bad dialogue. Certainly if the dialogue is bad on purpose, uh, I'll give it a pass. Uh, so I do know what you mean. I'm definitely way more liberal about it than you. But, but I, as I say though, because it, it doesn't always make a film just fall apart for me, I guess. It just bugs me. I don't know. I really, I can't, I can't accept it sometimes when it's, when it's like that, but not a problem in uh, Hellraiser. There are a few, maybe a, a few points of odd dialogue, but most of the, like, it's very, like I said, character driven. You have, should we, should we explain the story now? Unless you've got something okay. else to add about your initial thoughts. <laughs> I mean, no, well, my, I mean, I've, I've watched this film, you know, many, many times over the years. I, I think I first saw it when I was like a teenager, like a young teenager. Um, I've always loved this film. I think it's brilliant. Um, and the more I watch it, the better it gets. After watching it again this time round, I think I'm going to end up rating it higher than I would have going into it. Oh, that's nice. That's interesting. I'll, I'll say that much. Anyway, yeah, let's let's break down the plot. So in a nutshell, we've got um, a family moving into like a decrepit house that's like... Uh, you know, the sort of grounds for this uncle of theirs who did some like experimenting with like the occult and they accidentally bring him back to life. And the wife was having an affair with him way back in the day. And now she's going to help uh, give him people to eat or some shit so he can come back to life. And he that's the blood. Plot. He needs the blood. He needs the blood. We'll get into how he first gets the blood uh, when, when we get to it. A uh, bit silly, but yeah. Firstly, music. The the score by Christopher Young is just excellent. Really well set, you know, beautifully sets the tone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have more notes, by the way. Well, I have one note about the music in the second film, which is quite important. It's a bit different than this, but I think it's maybe even more influential. But yeah, I, I do agree. And speaking about other things, like not just a plot, but like everything else going on, the special effects in this film, I was not expecting them to be that great. And they were pretty they're amazing. They're amazing, yeah. 
And so yeah. this our uncle character who comes back to life, which we'll get to in a second, I really like the the reanimation scene mm. when they bring him back. And the, the reanimation scene and every sort of subsequent like stage of his rejuvenation as well. Yeah. And there's even bits where he's just like walking around, like he's he's got a he's after a few murders have happened and he's slowly coming back to, to life. Uh uh not life exactly, but like he's becoming more solid, if you will. Yeah. Um he's even like wearing suits and stuff, and like but he's still flesh and he doesn't have skin mm. and he's just getting blood on everything. Like, like I, I, I really like that. Juicy. Yeah, I, I loved how like the the fact that he's juicy it does affect the surroundings and you can see how it's affecting the surroundings there's also bits of that in the second one as well mm. where they really they they do it in a white room so you can really see like on the floor and on the walls just how much like this person just walking around this room is like sp spreading so much blood and nastiness oh it's really well i agree Really well done, all the special effects in this. N uh, not all the special effects in the second one are great, though. But we'll get mm. to that. Um, so let's talk about Clive Barker really briefly. The only thing I note I've got here is I remember seeing something. I think it's on the cover of the DVD. And it's uh, a Stephen King quote. And it was something like, we have a new master of horror and his name is Clive Barker. Mm. Now, I know you are, you're always one to have a laptop at hand. <sighs> uh, can we look up Clive Barker? I purposely not looked him up. So I, I, I don't want to go in prepared for this. I want to know what else he's done because I know the name and I'm sure I've seen him around. But I uh... only really know Hellraiser for sure. Well, to be honest, I didn't really know who he was until we watched this. And... He was an author. He was an author, I'm sure. And I'm sure he was like, they were like, okay, you wrote the book. You should make the movie, I think. Well, from what I actually watched a YouTube thing last night summarizing the whole franchise. And oh. yeah, I won't mention, I forgot who the guy is. Sorry, but it's a very good video. I really liked it. It was like an hour long. Uh, and the guy mentions how apparently uh, Hellraiser was always supposed to become uh, a film. That was always the idea. Even that, like, first came the book, then, okay, let's put it out into a film. Um, but, yeah, you wanted to know about his other works. Uh, mm. He did... That's interesting. So, one film called Underworld, he wrote the screenplay for, a British one. Uh, it looks very 80s. It's from 1985. Um, right. da, 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 da. Film. I'm looking just at his film work, by the way. Uh, hold on. The short story, The Forbidden, from Barker's Books of Blood, provided the basis of the 1992 film Candyman and its sequels. Ooh. That's very interesting. I had no yeah. idea there was a connection there. No. I think... I think there was another franchise that he was working on, um, but I can't see it right here. Maybe I'm maybe I'm confused, but I think he's had some influence here and there. I will mention, by the way, so uh, Hellraiser was his directorial debut, 
which by yeah. the way is fucking amazing directorial yeah. debut. I do wonder though how much he was helped by the people around him because I I noticed that uh, I was like, who did the cinematography here? Because there's some really great cinematography here and there. And there was one guy who I think he was quite established by this point who I think really helped him. And also the special effects. I don't know sure who was really behind that. But, you know, a, a first-time director really needs a lot of support to make that to that level, which is really impressive yeah. level. So I think uh, although he's the director, I wouldn't say he's like the... Well, yeah, he wrote the film. He directed it. Fine. Um, but I, I do think that he got a lot of help making this. Well, I mean, to be fair, film is a collaborative art form at the end of the day. And, you know, a director is only as good as the, uh, you know, the other people around them. You know, ultimately, if you don't have like a good team, this is why we see so many filmmakers just using the same people over and over again. Because once they find like people they click with, a team they can work with, they don't want to work with anyone else. So... You know, but you know what? You're probably right. He probably did have a lot of help because you've got a lot of experience uh, backing someone who has a sort of literary vision, but has never, you know, done it for screen before. And let's not forget, they've always historically had problems hiring uh, authors to be writers or directors. It has historically gone badly. Uh, What's his name? F. Scott Fitzgerald had problems when Hollywood approached him. He couldn't really figure it out, couldn't fathom the old concept of a screenplay. Mm. You know, what else is interesting is that uh, Clive Barker didn't direct uh, the, sec uh, the second Hell Hellraiser film. No, it was but some dude called, like, Randall something. Yeah, and he didn't even... He only provided the story. He didn't write the script as well. Yeah. And I think uh, for me, we'll get to Hellraiser 2 in a minute, but I really feel that there's a very big difference in how the characters are done. Yes. And motivate, like, I will say this as well. One thing I really like about Hellraiser is it doesn't go too in-depth into this kind of broader world of this pain and suffering, pleasure thing that the Cenobites kind of live in, which I guess is supposed to be something mm. like Hell. Uh, makes sense because it's called Hellraiser. Uh, they don't really have, they have like kind of surface level presence. Uh, we don't go too deep into the mythology. And I quite like that, actually. I don't mind having it as a distance. Second mm. film, we go we go right in. We throw a, right into that world. Yeah, much bigger and, focus, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, meh, I, I, don't, I don't really know how interested I am in this. But I will say, after watching the YouTube video I watched yesterday, summarizing the whole franchise, uh, I can see that the second film is still fucking a lot better than the rest of the shit that came later. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't dislike the second film at all. I actually quite like it. And I still i am probably going to give it a, a reasonably high rating, despite it being significantly worse than the first one. Well, let's uh, let, let's talk about this film because we're fifth. We're like nearly twenty minutes in, and we've yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's so let's go. Um, so the movie begins with like the shot of the puzzle box, and it's getting sold to Frank, and then we see uh, we see him activating the puzzle box, which also 
it, it seems more complicated than finding like a fucking clitoris. It's ridiculous. <laughs> How <laughs> is that one of your notes there? That is one of my notes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I feel like. How does that puzzle box work? You just sort of stroke it a bit. It's like well, rubbing yeah. a lamp. It's genie logic. And then uh, when he activates it, we get the chain, the chain meat room. And we we see the Xenobites for the first... Xenobites, sorry, for the first time. And we see Pinhead for the first time. And again, we're not going to see them until the last sort of 20 minutes of the film. Mm. Uh, they're barely in it so then uh, Larry and uh, Julia they show up to the house to move in and it's a total shithole the kitchen's like manky maggots are everywhere um, and then, sorry can I stop you there and as well like, La Larry's just like decided yeah we're going to move here now we're going to live here and like yeah. Julia has like no say in like the fact that they're uh, moving house. By the way, uh, here we come to uh, a slight problem that I need. That the only issue I really have with this film is like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> are yeah, we in no, I, England or are we in the US? It's so confusing. Well, because every, everyone's got a, an American accent except Julia. So, because Julia is definitely like an Englishy sounding accent. So I feel like. It could be America. I imagine it's somewhere in America, but where in America, God only knows. But that house looks like an English house. That's a house somewhere in the suburbs of like London or something. It's, it does look like an English house. It has to I be mean, said. Even like, you know, notice the windows, how they have these kind of like patterns and stuff. Well, like you, it just seems so English. And like, maybe they probably shot it in England. You never know. I think they did. I did I think. I'm pretty sure Clive Barker was English. He is. He's from Liverpool. Um, but yeah, hey, you're it... all right, Clive Barker, Scouser. <laughs> all right, kidder. I like him more now. Yeah, but but there's, there's some bits I even wrote them down. I collected them up because I was like, where the fuck are we? Like, uh, so at one point, Larry says to Julia, "You're back on your own turf." So she's back in England, right? But it's his family's house. His mother, I think, like, so what is he maybe American, but, like, was born in the UK or maybe had British parents or something. Uh, and then there's one bit where Kirsty, uh, Larry's daughter, is like, uh, I kind of, like, leave it. Like, they, they just got off a train. By the way, the train, there's a shot of a train. That's definitely a British train. And then... Uh, <laughs> They're walking away from the train station or something, and he's with the she's with this guy, and I think he was supposed to be English, but they made him American, and like uh, something about him being too polite, and uh, Kirsty says or something, and then the guy's like, "Hey, we're not all frigid or something like this." Like, what? Where are you supposed to be from? You're both American. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't hear any difference there, and yeah, yeah. there's a lot of. I think it was shot mostly in the UK, but for some reason they had British act actors and I don't know. It's very, it's it's just the weirdest thing mm. where it's supposed to be. But apart from that, that doesn't really bother me that much, you know. Well, fair enough. I mean, I was going to say the the husband Larry, 
he really reminds me of like a shit Randy Quaid. And <laughs> it, but but even down to his accent. So yeah, you know, I, I I just assumed it was set in America, but it did have a very English vibe. Um I also add, sorry, there's even one bit where we first meet Kirsty. She's mm. walking down a dock, and there's like you yeah. see there's a shot of the 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 cranes above her, and that's definitely in East London. That's definitely like in the docks of London somewhere. I, I, like you can't tell me that's in the US. It just looks so <laughs> British. Yeah, I mean to be fair, there's a load of like uh, film studios in London or around London. I'm sure it, it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe it'd be cheaper to shoot here back then in the 80s than in the states well like so i haven't really mentioned this before uh so i grew up near elstree studios kind of like mm. the town over uh and at elstree studios is where they filmed star wars and they filmed indiana jones yeah, yeah. and i always wondered why did they film it here i mean they have they have freaking uh studios right there in the u.s like and especially why would you go from yeah. the studios Elstree Studios has like a big reputation as well because they did all the Bond films too. Yeah. And so apparently I heard that it's some, uh, it's, uh, like I guess in the early 60s or some, or even maybe even a bit before, uh, the level of effects was actually supposed to be very good in the UK during that time. And so that's why a lot of American uh, companies were coming over to the UK because of the special effects. That was the main draw. Mm. Which makes sense. I mean, when you think of like Star Wars, you need a lot of special effects. Uh, Indiana Jones also needs a fair amount as well. So maybe also, apart from Clive Barker being British, there was uh, they wanted to film in the UK because of the level of special effects, which this film also relies on. Mm. I don't know. I'm just pulling it hairs here. Uh, where were we? Um, I think it's made pretty abundantly clear from the get-go that uh, Julia's in love with this, you know, mysterious brother, Frank, who is meant to be in the house somewhere. So, like, Larry, the the brother that she's married to, is a bit of a... How, how can you describe him? He's not really a manly man. He's a bit of a goofball. He's a, he's a, uh, a simp Randy Quaid. Yeah, as you said. And yeah. while Frank is more like... Um, you no know, more like manly. This is Frank. This is Frank's voice. You know, he's yeah, taking a, taking advantage of you, and like he's the. I mean, it has to be said when you compare them side by side, you can see why she cheated on him. Yeah, and she had some. She's basically doing this because she wants some really hot sex. Really, that's that's the whole plot of this film. She wants Pretty to bring much. back. Basically, maybe if she manages to get the whole thing, he'll have a penis and you know, she'll get some action at the end because probably she's not getting much from Larry, to be honest. Well, I mean, no, no, I, I think Larry wants to because there's a bit where later on in the film, uh, Frank tries to lure uh, Larry upstairs by making like, like banging on the wall or something. And she seduces him to stop him from going upstairs. But when they go to bed, uh, Frank comes out to try and kill him and then she's like oh no no I can't bear it I can't bear it don't do it don't do it and obviously Larry thinks she's talking to him and he's like oh you know what you're so hot and cold today 
You know, <laughs> one minute you're into me, next minute you're not. And yeah, I I I took I I took that they they were probably uh, a healthily married couple until she met Frank. Nah, I disagree because like even I think like they were just about to get married when she first meets Frank, and she oh, has an yeah, affair with right. him. And mm. I think that she's just always been not like even for example the fact that they're moving into this house and she has no say in it. Like I think she'd, they, I think they mentioned Brooklyn. I think she'd rather be back in like New, um, New York or wherever they were. They, she doesn't care about this place. It's boring for her, and she has no say in it. And that, like Larry, I think is just not very. I don't know. I think she gets really irritated by him. There's even a bit where they have the dinner party, and she's just like doesn't want to be there. Doesn't want to be around him. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think. I think their marriage is not good. I think he was. Ha- well, he'd be so, more than happy I, to get laid. But well, I think she well, yeah. doesn't want to get laid with him. So, yeah, but you now. know what? I, I I will give you that because, in all fairness, like you know, who who moves your family into this random fucking dirty, dilapidated house? In all fairness, and then he talks his daughter into moving in, who's already got in her own place. Mm. Yeah, so she's settled down. He's talked her into coming back home, and it's like, yeah, he is a bit of a twat. But in his defense, I like on like watching it again, I will say that the film really benefits from having him. Uh, it, it humanizes it a bit. Mm. I don't know. It needs his touch, his, his uh, slightly goofballish. Uh, well, he's just very wholesome, isn't he? He's very wholesome, you know, and he's a good father. Yeah, he still know. cares for his daughter and everything. Yeah. Uh, but this is uh, so they're moving shit into the house, and they're they're trying to get um, they're trying to get uh, a mattress in to the into the house, and you got these two guys helping Larry get it upstairs, and they're like making eyes at his wife, and then they make eyes at his daughter as well when she comes in. Um, and I just wanted to point out because it, they, what they do, is they they struggle to get the mattress up the wall, up the stairs. Meanwhile, Julie is having flashbacks to when she first meets Frank, and they start fucking. By the way, I thought it was interesting that there's more male nudity in the sex scene than there is female nudity. I thought that was interesting. I um, noticed that, to be honest. I mean, it's not, you know, it's just a glimpse. It's just a glimpse. But the only thing you don't see, you don't see Julia's breasts. You only see her bum. Any That's the whole, the whole sex scene. You don't see any, any of her uh, front, should we say. <laughs> um, but we do get a glimpse of Frank's nether regions. And I just thought it was interesting because obviously at this sort of time, the 80s, uh, exploitation was really like such a key factor of horror films that, you know, you need to put nudity in. It was almost a requirement, you know, to get these movies made that, you know, okay, but what's going to be the topless scene? You know, what, what how are you going to do it? You know, what, what's going to be special about your topless scene in this movie? So yeah, they don't do that. Uh, 
instead it's almost like a mockery of it where they're like, no, no, you know what? You can see a bit of penis instead if you really want some nudity. Here you go. Um, and so like, it, all, it immediately feels like a horror film that's not quite the same as the other ones coming out at this sort of time. It, it, it immediately sets itself apart in just these little choices. Yeah, and also, like, I like, as you said, like, many films, they always have, like, uh, a sex scene, a bit of nudity, some passion. We've talked about this before, how a lot of the yeah. time it doesn't feel like it adds anything. And when it doesn't more, add anything. Yeah. More, more yeah. often than not, it sort of comes out of nowhere and it's it's the story has to stop for the sex scene to happen. And yeah. then the story can carry on again once it's done. And you're watching, like, for five minutes with your parents and it's, like, awkward as fuck. But mm. in this film, uh, it adds to it. It's part of the plot. Yeah, and I, I, I agree, yeah. And I think that she's kind of taken a bit advantage of by Frank as well. Oh, uh, of course. So I, Of I course. Think, yeah, I think that really adds to it. And it's, yeah, explaining a lot of shit. Mm. Uh, sorry, I was going to say as well that they, they cut the flashback to them having sex with them trying to squeeze the mattress past this nail and it ends up scratching Larry's hand and he needs to get stitches. And I couldn't decide because, I, it's, it, like I say, it, it, I thought it felt dated. I didn't really like that scene. felt a bit strange. But at the same time, I also can make... I, I felt, despite me not liking it because it felt like it was trying to be funny... It made me think maybe Frank, maybe that's to suggest that Frank had some involvement in him getting cut in order for him to come back. Mm, I was wondering that as well, actually, because it seemed a bit too coincidental, didn't it? That mm. she's thinking about him in a room where he died, where he will then be regenerated where, as soon as uh, Larry comes in there and spills his blood mm. on it, you know. So that was yeah, interesting. It, it was definitely done very in like on purpose. And like, like I say, initially I was like, oh, this is a bit silly. But then after like reflection, I was like, actually, that might be quite clever. Mm. Because we we will get to it obviously in Hellraiser 2, but we do find out in the sequel that he can send messages from hell. He can influence people in the real world yeah it's interesting because that's not really explained how and why but yeah no so i think we can make that argument uh, so i did like it after uh, after my initial disliking uh and then obviously the blood brings him back and then we get frank back to life and i, I agree with your earlier assessment it's amazing i love the effects of the just the heart being reanimated and then obviously like his first form where uh, Julia discovers him and he's like crawling all over the floor. Really fucking scary. I loved it. Yeah. And his legs aren't even moving properly. I think they had um, mm. a double in there that wasn't, that wasn't the same actor and some kind of uh, physical actor, I guess. And he's kind of funny how he closes the door and he's like, yeah, it's, it's Frank. And then, and then every time... Don't look at me, though. Don't look at me. <laughs> but look look at me. But don't look at me. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I felt that. That, like, every now and again, he'd invite her to look at him. And they go, don't look at me. Um, or, or it would be when he was sucking the life force out of someone. Yeah, he, you know, he'd be like, give it to me. And then, but don't look at me. It's just, yeah. Um, or, oh, I've, I've got a note here. They've got like a little dinner party happening downstairs while Julie is discovering Frank. And uh, the daughter has a boyfriend round called Steve. Um, and he does this cigarette flip into his mouth. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'd forgotten that. And the, this is that I used to do that when I when I first started smoking, and I think it was because of this film. Well, that's um, I, I could smoke <laughs> a cigarette like halfway down, and then I could like flip it back into my mouth. I burnt myself once and never did it again. <laughs> that was the first time, actually, right? No, I wish. I wish. I, I it was like my little party piece. <laughs> um so yeah so we know that he needs blood he says like oh the blood got be this far but don't look at me but the blood got be this far so i need more give me more but don't look at me you'll do this for me won't you <laughs> yeah, and you know what and the thing is no why julia really though sweetie why are you doing this for him he's a fucking she's... monster She's no, sexually what? starved. She needs a real man. And Larry's not that man. Um, so Julia now has to go out and start hunting men at bars to bring back for Frank. And the first guy she brings back, like, when you watch the film, you look at her eyes and it's like, you clearly have no interest in sleeping with this man. And then this man looks at her and goes, you know, I feel like I've known you for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that line. Oh, it's so, line. yeah, I love that. I love that because she is clearly not interested. And then, and then he, she... he switches at her as well because she, he sort of picks up that she's not into it. And then he snaps at her. Sort of been like, oh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna change your mind, are you? And then immediately says sorry to be, oh, sorry, 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 I was such a a nutcase, just for a second. Mm. Yeah, I remember that too. And uh, yeah, did you notice also the first two guys that they kill are kind of like bold and bolding? It's like, it's, are they trying to say something about bold and men that they? They're struggling to get laid or something. That well, they literally need someone to pretty much... Yeah, come on. And then they get you, murdered. I mean, in all fairness, though, it's not like Julia isn't a very beautiful woman. She is. So perhaps, perhaps, yeah, perhaps it's just more a case of, you know, fat, desperate men will be quicker to convince to come, to come round and, you know walk into an empty room without suspicion. Mm. If you were lured into that room, there's no way you would not, not like sense something's up. You know, you're like, this yeah. isn't the bedroom. He's like, this isn't the bedroom. She's like, oh, I like to do it on the floor. And then she makes him strip, but she's not strip. And then you're like, 
nah, you know, your spider senses would be tingling at this point. You know, what what else do you need to give to have it to be a dead giveaway? What plastic on the floor? Like just get out the fucking house. Yeah. And there's even a, he tries to leave at one point and he has an, there's another line I like a lot as well. It's like just need to empty the old bladder and like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was like you're about to get laid. He's about to get laid. His uh, trousers down to his ankles. Oh, yep. Just, just gotta go. Just gotta go to the little boys' room. And he's like so weird about it as well. What a turn off! If she really right. was into him, that would be enough to be like, actually, why aren't you? Uh, why aren't you see yourself out? <laughs> and then it's at that point that he realizes the door is locked. And then, yeah. Uh, she she murders him with a hammer, doesn't she? Absolutely and, bludgeons him. Yeah, and I, I think I read somewhere, I'm not sure if it's this murder or, or another murder, that I, I think they had to cut some some violence from the film because it was too much. Uh, for, for the, Oh, really? So be, yeah, apparently it was too much having the idea of someone being bludgeoned to death with a hammer. And then, yeah, so then she starts murdering people. We get in. Uh, Frank is slowly. Well, she's not really. I, it even becomes a point where she, kind of Frank really starts doing the killing, and he's doing some strange thing where, like, like uh, sticking his back fingers into their. I don't know what you would call that bit behind the skull. Cerebellum. Cerebrum. This weird sort of effect where he can just, like shove his hand in the back of your head, and he's getting slowly stronger. And eventually it's like, okay, all we need now is some skin, but don't look at me. Oh, no, actually, after he rejuvenates like once or twice, then he's all like, look at me. I want to touch you. And hey, like, come here. So you've gone from like, don't look at me to come here, let me feel up your boobs. But it's like, hang on a minute. You probably, you still look like shit. Like, what's... There's nothing that's really... You still look really fucking terrifying. You can't really expect her to get... She probably thought she feeds you a person, you'd be back to normal. You're like, you know, you look like a biology textbook. Yeah. And by the way, so we'll get into... I Remember about the rejuvenation, because there's something about that in the second film we've got to talk about. Uh, but yeah, did he actually say that about the skin that he needs some skin? I'm pretty sure uh, he says it uh, at like for the last one, where like uh -huh. she's been quite defensive about him killing Larry, but then at that you know because obviously the Cenobites are coming, so he's like, you know, all they need now is some skin, and Larry is uh, is coming home now. So, ah, pretty. That's I'm interesting. Pretty, I'm pretty sure they say something like that because uh, there there is something different going on in the second one about that as well that we'll get onto. But I always thought that maybe he just wanted to steal his brother's identity because you know I, his brother I mean, has, has money for a house, a good job, and everything. I think, yeah, but I, I think Frank only is, I think only temporarily though. I think the idea was to to get all of his skin back eventually. 
because it's yeah. like because it's kind of like the mummy rules, isn't it? With Brendan Fraser, it's like with each person he sucks, every every time he sucks a person, he he gets their powers, he gets their he gets their life force. So uh, so this is the thing, Frank. Frank then has to uh, he reveals, doesn't he, that the Cenobites are coming to Julia, and Julia seems like. She's kind of getting on board with not only the killing, but also with Frank's obscure new look. Um, <laughs> and then we get like this random homeless guy. Like we get this really re weird scene, which is a random homeless guy is stalking Kirsty, and they uh, they go into like a pet shop, and he eats a handful of like locusts or something. Um. And it just seems to be so separate from the plot uh, until the very last shot of the film uh, where the homeless dude rocks up again and uh, we get the reveal that he's actually a demon. Yeah, he wants the... Um, the box. He wants the box, which was called what again? What was the box called? I swear there was a name for it. I just called it the Rubik's Cube in my notes. I, I did wonder, by the way, watching this, like how influential the Rubik's Cube was to the idea of this box. Because it really is basically a Rubik's Cube. I'll tell you this, because in the second one, there's someone who's like obsessed about puzzles and they're like doing this puzzle of a cube, but it's not a Rubik's Cube. And I'm like, why haven't they got a Rubik's Cube? Surely it's just such an obvious thing to have, like. If someone was good at Rubik's cubes, maybe they can solve the puzzle. Julia starts, yeah, she's bringing more men back, and I, yeah, I said this that I think she starts enjoying the killing. This is when Julia stops Larry going upstairs because Frank's just like fucking about. He comes out of the cupboard. We already talked about this scene. There was this something just like so he's also cutting up like a, a fucking rat while Larry's trying to get his his jig on. Oh. And there is one line I just saw it in my notes. Uh, no, Larry, or something like that. Where was it? Ah, oh, where is that line gone? And I was thinking that could be interpreted like two ways. Is she saying it to to Larry to stop, which maybe she is, or like, or is she saying it to Frank, like you know, not him, like. No, yeah, I I think it's I think it's pretty obvious that she's saying it to Frank to leave Larry alone. But the thing is. As far as Larry's perspective of this dialogue is, is that she's telling him to stop trying to fuck her, and she he doesn't straight away stop. She get she has to freak out for a large portion of time before he just sits up and goes, "I just don't understand you." <laughs> yeah. And then where are we now in terms of the plot? We're getting kind of close to, to so Frank is... We get, we get the... I think this is where she brings the last person to Frank. Um, and, and then, then like Kirsty sees. Yeah, yeah. She hears like a scream or something from outside. And then she goes up to investigate. Julia hides, but Frank pulls her into the room. Kirsty into the room. And then he gets all pervy with her. He like, gets very rapey. He gets very rapey. And it's like, that's your niece. You gross fuck. 
You know, it's one thing that you are like the sort of macho, the macho asshole brother who goes after your brother's wife. But it's another thing to be like just an absolute creep. And you haven't got any skin. <laughs> and then Frank, um, sorry, the box becomes the centre of the plot from this point because this is where Kirsty steals the box. She throws it out um, the window. Yeah, she throws it out the window and then she jumps out and she grabs the box and then she opens it and she like has a little explore only to discover like a Cronenberg scorpion creature. <laughs> and then it chases her into the room or something and then the Cenobites show up and Pinhead says, I've written this line down. We are explorers of the further regions of experience, which is a great line. Yeah, and then some she call us devils, some call us angels. We are just explorers of the further regions of experience. Yeah, this is kind of why I didn't like always the idea that it's hell, because mm. it's kind of what they're trying to imply is something beyond that, really, aren't they? Yeah, with that. Yeah. And and then at this point we have Kirsty um, kind of convincing them. No, it was by accident. I didn't know what I was doing. And then she says she, that Frank escaped, and that gets their yeah, attention. Yeah, she grasses him out, but they don't believe her at first. So they're like, "We need to hear him admit it." And then this is when uh, Frank takes Larry's skin, and then. Uh, the girl uh, then Kirsty runs back home to try and warn her dad, but it's actually Frank. Mm -hmm. And then, as Frank, uh, so as her dad, he gets all pervy with her again, and he then accidentally, on purpose, kills Julia. Yeah, but it was, he, but it was obvious he was going to betray her at some point. He didn't really need her anymore. I, I mean, I, don't... I feel I feel like it could have been handy to have her around, though, instead of just killing her off while you're in the middle of trying to kill Kirsty as well. Seemed a bit counterintuitive to get rid of your one, the one person that's helping you out. Yeah, and I'm also wondering how much he would have benefited from that now because he's basically fully reformed. Like, he's put on someone else's skin, which yeah. seems to be quite fragile because there's a point where Kirsty scratches him across the face and his right. skin kind of comes off so he's kind of yeah. fragile in that sense but he's like fully mobile and able to do stuff so if he if he sucks the life out of julia what is what is he actually getting now what does that do for him does he need to do that anymore I, 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 I don't know i mean yeah I, I i think eventually he'll be able to get his own skin back i assume um but then oh what happened so she, uh, the cenobites don't believe her Oh, so something happens with the Cenobites. Hang on a minute. Because there's like, we want the man who did this. And she thinks that they're trying to kill her dad. But really, the body is her dad. And mm -hmm. who she thinks is her dad is Frank. So that's why he needs to admit it as well, because he looks like Frank. Oh, sorry, he looks like Larry. It gets confusing. Identity, like, concealments. Yeah, and then... Uh, I can't remember exactly what happens here, but somehow the Cenobites get hold of Frank in Larry's body, and we have that shot 
that's fairly quite well known, like where uh, he has all those chains attached to his body and he's like, Jesus wept. And then Jesus he wept. No, but it's like in Larry's voice. It's not that it's not that strange voice, which I think is just a British guy doing a mm. voice of a kind of tough guy, American something. Um, and then, yeah, he, he basically explodes and then, Larry is, uh, sorry, not Larry. Well, actually, you get there. Larry and Frank are both dead. Uh, and then the Cenobites, like, you know, you th I think it's like, oh, okay, he's exploded now. He's gone. And then the Cenobite starts coming up the stairs with some knife thing. Uh, and the wall's, like, bleeding. It's like, you, we're not finished with you yet. And mm. and then we have this, it's kind of funny how she defeats them, actually. It's a bit, I, I don't know if that if it really made sense that she should be able to defeat them. Uh, but she manages to, with Steve, by the way, this guy Steve is there as well. well she, she figures out how to use the box tactically. Which is very strange when you think about it. Because I think it, it's a bit tricky to figure out anyway. And now suddenly yeah. you're just killing people with it. Like, yeah. And the it, house falls it's funny. It's funny you bring up Steve, though, because I've got a note here... Uh, I, fa I found it annoying that Steve showed up. Uh, I, I would have actually preferred it if Kirstie had just dealt with them on her own. Yeah. You, you didn't really need him there. No. There was even one point. Uh, so there's this, there's this that weird thing you called it a Cronenberg kind of like, what did you call it? Like scorpion, scorpion mouth thing. thing. Yeah. And that comes at, like, it enters through the front door trying to get at them. And Kirsty's trying to grab the box from it. Like, they're trying, I'm not really sure what's going on there. But they're both trying to grab the box. I think at some point, Steve grabs the box. And she just, like, pushes him and grabs it. Because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> mm. I know how to use this thing. Um, I, I kind of like that, actually. But, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what I felt about that, that part, the, the very end. Uh, the battle with the Cenobites, I thought it was a bit mm, and, not sure if it was necessary. Th this is the thing, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would have liked it that just the Cenobites sort of just fade into the walls again and be like, don't call us again, Kirsty, or next time we will show you the pleasures of pain. And then that could have been the end of the movie. But I felt, yeah, there probably, there was probably like pressure to have a climax against the Cenobites. Mm. Um, because they're as much as we know their motivation is we like to bring people into our sort of pleasure pain circle. Uh, beyond that, there's really no motivation to, you know, they're not vengeful. You know, it's just the case of you called us, we're, we're coming to get you. You know, that's it. Mm -hmm. There's a good line in the second one uh, where they convince a puzzle girl to. Uh, to do the the puzzle and the the uh, what's the quote pinhead says something like oh, i can't find it i can't find it in my notes but he says something like hands don't call us desire does ah that's interesting yeah that might uh, be the only good line in the sequel yeah they're, they're, the dialogue is not as well written no. and it's also what speaking of lines when uh frank says jesus wept what do you think mm. that means? Do you think that implies that he's seen everything? Like he knows everything that ever happened or something like that. Like he's now experienced 
so much play, pain and seen all the the worst and best of the world that he 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 knows everything. Yes. What do you think that means? That that that's exactly how I read it. I I, I read it as a sort of at this point of death where you you know they they're making him feel such a maximum amount of pain that it's just like you know or almost euphoric for him uh which is also really like beautifully done in a really twisted way hmm yeah i think I, we've mostly done this film now by the way because we yeah, got to do the second one now <laughs> i mean i'll briefly go over like some notes I've gotten written that I've skipped over, like so much for this cat and mouse shit. When uh, <laughs> when Frank gets figured out that when he's pretending to be Larry, I thought that was a funny line. And, uh, and there was another line as well I got right here. Um, when uh, the Cenobites finally catch Frank, and he, he turns to um, Kirsty says, "You set me up, bitch." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you said me a bitch. And then we've got, um, I, I wrote down that there's a bit where there's like a corpse of one of the victims and it pukes maggots on Kirsty's shoulder. And it's like one of the few jump scares in the movie. And it did make me jump. And I laughed. Yeah. I was annoyed that it made me jump, but it did. And then uh, the, when the Cenobites, uh, this is my last note, when the Cenobites come for Frank and he's like, admitting to it all, you could say they caught him hook, line, and sinker. Fuck's sake. Why did you do that to us? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I do really like that when they scratch the wall, it bleeds. I they There's another bit in the sequel that they do something similar, but I've always liked the idea of inanimate objects bleeding. Yeah, I like that too. I, I got a note here I think this is like kind of summarizes um, my thoughts. Uh, what I really like about this film is that the accomplice is human with human desires and the bad guy is not a pure evil kind of personality, just hedonistic. The whole thing feels like you could take the horror elements away and it's still fucked up. They're yeah. like low level criminals or supernatural beings. Uh, so, like more, uh, sorry, I don't know what I've written here. But there's some kind of um, how they like low-level criminals in like a kind of supernatural setting. Like mm. it's the the beings that they're fucking around with. The Cenobites are kind of like very powerful and uh, interdimensional, beyond their comprehension. So when the so Cenobites like, show up, they're like, right, "We're in the wrong movie." Yeah, but I, I really like that. I re I really did like. Yeah, I did that. I think Desi it works. Desire and hedonism. As, as like part of the mm. the uh, the drives that leads them to murder, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really cleverly done. I, I've really got uh, nothing bad to say about this movie. I really love this film. Yeah, I have so many more notes, but it's going to go. It'd be so too much to go through them all. <laughs> I will point out there is a pet shop that has monkeys, which I found strange. But never mind. That is strange. It's, there well, is more. So. Before. Before we wrap up with like the rating, should we just talk very briefly about this homeless dude being a demon at the end? It, see, there is another part of the ending we haven't discussed yet. So apart from this uh, homeless guy who bees, becomes a demon and steals the... Because Kirsty throws the box into a fire to destroy it. 
and he appears and takes it and disappears. So you assume maybe there'll be something coming out of that, like a sequel or something, mm. which there is a sequel, but uh, I don't know how it relates to this demon. There's nothing about him. By the way, for a homeless guy, he's got beautiful eyes. We'll just mention that. Very uh, ham- handsome homeless man. Handsome homeless man, yeah. And like, yeah, I don't know why that was there. And then, by the way, before we forget, after that, the film ends how it starts. Yes. We then we we come to to uh, Frank starting again. He's buying the box. So make, like, I was also no, thinking again. No, no, no. It's not Frank again. It's the same salesman from the beginning, but it's a new guy buying the box. Are you sure? I, yes. I swear it was Frank. No, it's not Frank. It's not Frank. Uh, you know, I was going to say, if that was Frank, that it's like Frank already knows everything that's going to happen to him. And he wants to relive all of this again. All of this shit with Julia re-coming re, re back to life again. That would and have like, been interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going for. But now, now you maybe ruined it for me saying it's someone else. I thought it was being super clever. Sorry, man. My bad. It's still being clever, just not as clever as you wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah. Should we give it a rating then? Yes. I for me. How, many, I, how many Rubik's cubes out of twenty-three Rubik's cubes? Oh, I have a Rubik's cube now, and I'm trying to solve it, and it's a bitch. So. I don't know, like, does it imply complexity? I don't know. Well, there is a fair amount of complexity. Out of 20, did you say? 23. 23? Why 23? I don't know. Okay. It's it's a non-number. Hang on. How many sides does a Rubik's Cube have? So how many squares does a Rubik's Cube have? Because you've got nine on each side, and you've got, what, six sides? Yeah, so So nine nine times times six. six... is what fifty-four? So uh, right, out of fifty out of fifty-four Rubik's Cube squares, how many Rubik's Cube squares do you give it? Oh, you're right, actually, by the way. I had to double check that you were correct on number fifty-four. Uh I mean, man, <laughs> man, man can do math in his head, you know. Famalan. Don't need no yeah. calculator up in here, bro. I got a B in my GCSEs for maths. Uh what am I trying to say? Yes. So out of 54 Rubik's Cubes, uh, I'm going to give it probably like fairly high. I'm going to give this about between about 47. I'm going to give it a 47. 47 out of 54 Rubik's Cubes. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased with this film. There's some odd stuff happening here and there. Like I, I say, this quite a lot with some of the stuff we watch. Um but I really like the story. I really like how it comes together. I like the effects. Uh, I'm confused what country we're in, but I don't really care that much to, to mm. for it to bother me. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with this film. I'm very happy we watched it. I'm, I'm actually kind of pleased with your with your rating as well. I, I think I would agree with you. Let's go 47. Would you say 47 or 48? 47, I think I said, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for 47 too. I, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. On IMDb... I'll give it a nine. A nine. Maybe even a, maybe even a nine point five. I, no, I will just, be... just a nine. Just a nine. I bet you it's probably a bit lower than that. I bet it's about an eight point five on IMDb. Nah, Should but... I check? 
Oh, I reckon it'd be like a 7.2 on IMDb, but I'd give it a 9 point. I'll give it a 9 out of 10 for our IMDb rating. Yeah, maybe maybe I'd put about a 9 as well. I really like This is one of my favorite films that we've actually watched by the way. I really yeah, like I, this. It's so good. It's so good. And of course when I type in Hellraiser it's coming up with a version. Actually sorry, it's from last year, 2022. Oh, I need to oh. maybe have a look at that. Um should I tell you what it's Oh, that's sad. So out of ten, it's Seven. six point nine. <gasps> oh. Which I think it's really unjust. Yeah, it's so good. It's a really oh. clever film. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Because this movie really deserves more than a six point nine. I'd give it a nine. No sweat. I'll give it at least an eight, at the bare minimum, at least an eight. Proper good film. I will say, though, the sequels, that like we're going to talk about Hellraiser 2 now, but the general franchise it's, is quite terrible. But this one is like art. It's a work of art. It's brilliant. Yeah. I, I've watched, so when I was watching the other, uh, this, this guy who I need to find out who he was uh, on YouTube, who summarized it beautifully, uh, by the way, he mentions that so after the second film, uh, it was bought by Miramax, Harvey Weinstein's company, and they kind of just took a big shit on it, basically. Mm. And there's this theory that they kept making movies just so they could keep the rights to it. So at one point, they would eventually make something good with it, but you know, they didn't have they were just taking scripts from other films and it's like adding a pinhead into it to just yeah so unfortunately they made some really bad ones i i know roughly the plots to some of them they they just really just don't match the original no. film even the second one they, which they become they become a lot more pinhead focused as well yeah they even drop the box they even it, it just seems like it becomes a slasher thing and it just feels like that's not what it, this was about in the first place. And like, there's even an argument that the whole thing about uh, Hellraiser was to kind of tap into like uh, BDSM kind of stuff, which the first film doesn't really do, although it's kind of implied that there's some hint of it there. Mm. And I, I, at least from what I understood, that was always the intention to go in that direction, but it never got there, unfortunately. Which is maybe, mm. I don't know, maybe some people, it's sad because I imagine some people expected that from the films and never got it. So it's like, eh, it's a bit disappointing. See, um, that, that would make sense to me. Like, like if you did a modern Hellraiser, you'd do like, you'd, you'd do your opening scene in like a fetish club where everyone's like in a Hellraiser y shit. It makes sense, right? Like, yeah. I, I really think that's the direction they should have gone in, but unfortunately not. All right. Anyway, well, let, should we, let's should move we on jump? to Hellbound. So let's get into Hellraiser 2. Um, I would say a good 15 minutes of this film is footage from the previous film. Well, I wouldn't say 15 minutes, but at least five or so minutes, yeah. It's, it's well, just basically a refresher. Well, at the beginning, we got a, a refresher, but then later on, uh, Kirsty in the, in the mental asylum uh she also 
then re-explains all the like loads of details and we get more flashbacks to the first film. Mm, yeah, maybe we to, do. Uh, meet me in the middle, let's say 10 minutes. Okay, maybe maybe about 10 at least, yeah. Um, and this and it makes sense because this film's about 10 minutes longer than the first one. <laughs> yeah. And it was also interesting, I just realized this now since we're talking about both films. So at the end of the first Hellraiser movie, uh, it kind of ends, at least from Kirsty's part of the story, with her and Steve throwing the 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 um, what's it called, the Rubik's the puzzle cube. box. Puzzle box. There we go. That makes more sense. But I swear it was another name. Never mind. She throws it into a fire. A demon comes, takes it away. So mm. then, how I don't get how she ends up. She wakes up in this hospital, like maybe it was supposed to be like an alternative ending or something. I don't know how they, how they got there. It feels yeah, like, it, it feels like, sorry, go, go on. on. All right. So I was going to say, cause the doctor puts the puzzle box on the table and says, the police will be here to talk to you. And we can only assume that's going to be in regards to the house burning down, but then all, but they make such a deal about the puzzle box. It's almost like, they're accusing her of stealing it, maybe, or something like that. But I mean, it doesn't make sense only as, as until you consider that one of the doctors actually is researching the puzzle box, so he could have put pushed that. But if a demon flew off with it, why is the puzzle box there? Why was she found with the puzzle box? Yeah, Where's Steve. My assumption is is that this is from the point of when the house kind of blew up or whatever in the first film. And then like, she's found there unconscious. Steve is, I don't know where the fuck Steve is. Cause you don't see him in this film at all. And maybe they found her in the house with the box. The house is destroyed full of dead bodies and shit. And that's, that's where we're going off from. It's almost as if that mm. final scene from the first film with the, the demon guy uh, demon the homeless man didn't happen that well, was never a thing retconned yeah basically which is very strange i didn't notice that till really we just started talking about it but yeah mm. kind of odd i, I kind of like that this film wanted to be its own film and called itself hellbound i i like that it didn't want to be hellraiser 2 even though it does prefix it with hellraiser 2 it wanted its own title I like that. Well, you knew you know that the the book series was originally called Hellbound, right? But then I the producer, did. yeah. So the producer who helped Clive Barker make the first film said Hellraiser sounds better. Let's do Hellraiser. Like, okay, so maybe uh, this film's like no, now this time I really want it to be called Hellbound, not Hellraiser. And then, okay, this time you get it's called it Hellbound. So everyone got what they wanted in the end. Okay, I'll give you that. I like that. I didn't know that. Um, Clive Barker doesn't direct this one. We talked about this. Yeah. This other guy. And um, he, only, he only provided the story. He didn't uh, even write the script. Right. That makes sense because the dialogue in this is absolute dog shit. Uh, I didn't even write down any of the doctor puns at the end, but hopefully yeah. we, we'll remember a couple. Um, so we get the origins of Pinhead in the opening of this. 
So this is where we start to focus more on Pinhead, even though it's still not a huge thing in this mm -hmm. movie. Uh, it only sort of comes into play once at the end, um, which also I don't love, but we'll get into that. Uh, so we see Pinhead Origins, and he's like a soldier who discovers the puzzle box. Um, I actually thought that this sort of Pinhead Origins was something that was established in like later sequels, but fair enough, it, it's in this one. Um, and then we see all these characters returning, and like we meet the new Doctor, who will be like the sort of main antithesis throughout the film as well as Julia. Yeah. So we have Dr. Chenard who like, yeah, I didn't know what his name was. Chenard. Yeah. Chenard. Yeah. Right. And he's clearly a psycho from the, from the get go. And like, yeah. I even wrote down like who talks like that while doing brain surgery. Like he, he was talking, I can't remember what he was saying, but it was very strange. I felt mm. the way he was described. Maybe he was describing something about the brain, but like, when you're doing brain surgery, like, I, I don't know if you should be acting like that. It just seemed very strange. And then, uh, what else is I going to say about the beginning? Yeah, about the dialogue. So we also have, so Kirsty's in uh, the hospital and she's freaking the fuck out. And there's a police guy trying to get info from her that she doesn't really want to give. She's going to sound like a crazy person. And she says at one point, my father didn't believe in fairy tales, but some of them are true, even the bad ones. And like, it's mm. like, it set the tone of the level of dialogue that to, to yeah. expect from this film. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That's really bad. Yeah. It, it, it feels really, really cheesy. Like someone has never written something where, when they, when they write something like that, you know, when they equate <laughs> stories just to fairy tales and not, not look broader level of yeah. things, you know? Who wrote the script for this? If Barker came up with the story, who wrote the script? And have they done anything else? Let me have a look. One minute, one minute, one minute. Could be interesting. Maybe he went on to write something like amazing. Uh, Screenplay is by a guy called Peter Atkins. And he's not, I can't even find anything on him on the... Uh, hmm. I I don't see I don't know who this guy is. Hold on, IMBD quickly. But I don't want to see the rating. I don't want it to ruin it for me. Try and scroll fast. So the guy who so Peter Atkins who wrote. The screenplay for Hellraiser two, the the only the major things I can he he also did Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth, and he did <laughs> Hellraiser Bloodline. So like he he kind of I think yeah he's he's mostly involved in Hell Hellraiser stuff. Okay, interesting. And the rest of the stuff I see, I don't see anything with a rating higher than Perversions of Science, a TV series. That's the highest rate thing. It's like six point three. So he he's not particularly well known. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, 
I mean, I suppose he uses up all of his good dialogue in this film because they do get progressively worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. Like we, you said earlier, there are many doxa puns that come later. Should, and... should we? I mean, a, a couple that I remember was the the doctor's in. Yeah, I remember he, that he, one as well. He's he's become like a Cenobite himself, and he's like, but. I feel like the whole point, because we get this whole sense that Cenobites were human, but they've forgotten they were human because they've been so engrossed into this sort of eternity of pain and pleasure. And yet this Doctor character remembers enough of his life to be thrown around Doctor puns. Although I do love the bit when he does his final transformation and he comes out and he goes... To think I hesitated. And I loved that line. That was nah. a good line. Yeah. So let, let's get through the plot then. Let's explain what happens. Uh, right. So, so basically... Doc- yeah, I was, oh, go on. Then you, you go for I did the first one. You do all this right. one. All right. So in the second film, uh, yeah, we have Kirsty in the hospital. Uh, people are trying to figure out what the fuck happened in that house. Uh, there's even some police officers who fuck around with the evidence a bit in the old house. Um, and basically, we find out that Dr. Chenard, who is a bit of a creepy, uh, bossy... Um, how would you describe him? Psychotherapist, but he's also a surgeon. He, but let's just put it this way. He works with people who have uh, mental shit going on basically yeah it's like yeah he lobotomizes people basically yeah and you can see quite clearly that he doesn't really respect people with mental illness like there's a whole bit where uh, kirsty is like straight up saying what happened and you can just see that the way that he looks at her that he just doesn't respect it's just a stupid crazy person she's less Mm. of a person almost really is how he kind of looks at her and this is whole bit where he's going through the hospital uh, and the way he just looks at his patients, the craziest people that he has, and he just, they're just like test subjects to him. Uh, mm. Also, I did get kind of vibes from uh, Wheels on Meals a little bit when I see... What? Yeah, I remember in Wheels on Meals, there's a whole thing about the mental hospital and it's really... Yeah. It's just played for last. But in this film, it's just played for... to make you feel uncomfortable. And I just think, mm. I, don't, I don't, you know what? Like, just leave mental hospitals alone. Let's leave people with mental illness stuff alone. Let's not stigmatize them more with this kind of shit. I think it's just so stupid. Uh, though I do think it's well, done better here than Wheels on Meals, which is really, yeah. really bad, but, really offensive. But in all fairness, though, it, 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 does, uh, it does fall into the plot somewhat, having you know, without being offensive, but like disposable people that people aren't going to miss. You know, More. that's why that's, that's a big uh, plot point that, because obviously in the first film, we spend a long period of time showing the progression for Frank and Julia slowly feeding him body after body. But in this film, because uh, the doctor has access to all these people, when he brings Julia back, it can be done in one quick scene and we just see how many people she's been sucking on. <laughs> yeah. So that's They're another thing. Dry. Oh, suck dry. Yeah. Sucked, sucked dry. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, 
So this is the thing. In this point in the story, we find out, because obviously in the first one, Frank died in that room and then the blood brought him back. And when Kirsty explains this to the doctor, he obtains the bed or the mattress rather that Julia died on. And then he uh, gets like uh, this guy that uh, imagines maggots all over his body and oh. gives him a rain. And this scene is fucking brutal. He literally is peeling his own skin off. It's it really fucked, fucked up. up. Yeah. And then, obviously, the blood brings Julia back to life. And these just two arms and legs just burst through the mattress and grab this guy who's just cutting himself up. And he's just trying to crawl away from his, yeah. his own blood. And she's just coming after him on the floor and then just sucks the life out of him. Yeah. It's... I liked that a lot. Uh, yeah. I will say, actually, there are parts of the beginning of this movie that I like a lot more than the rest of it. Um, yeah. Like stuff like this. It was a bit... This sequence is great. Yeah. It was very coincidental that Chenard just happened to be a guy who was obsessed with these boxes. Like, he had, like, several yeah. of them in his house. Uh, and there's also another doctor guy. I guess he was kind of yeah. replacing like the Steve from the previous film. And I love it when he bre he breaks into Chenard's house. It's like weird. Yeah, I, I've, weird. Literally got, <laughs> I've literally got that written down. And he's got weird, weird Jesus Christ, and that's <laughs> his whole like response to all the strange things in the house. But then he hides behind like a curtain or something. And like observes Julia coming back, so now he believes Kirsty as well. So at least there's some. But like, don't you think you'd have like intervened the moment the doctor gave the guy a razor blade? Don't you think like a responsible doctor with their Hippocratic oath would have jumped out of the curtain, been like, "Ha ha! I've been here the whole time." You, you're in for it now, you. Yeah, you, you, I get you there. I didn't even think about that. Mind you, though, probably if he did do that, he'd get done for breaking and entering, and then probably Chenard would get off without anything happening to him. Hippocratic oath, bro. I know, I know. That, so, yeah, that, that, that's that's like important, that shit. You know, you need that Hippocratic oath. Otherwise, you shouldn't be a doctor. You better tattoo that shit to your body. Take yeah. it seriously. And by the way, speaking of random bits of dialogue again, uh, there is one bit uh, where it was unnecessary. It was weirdly uh, added. Um, there's a line that Chenard says when he's uh, in his office. Uh, or he's on the phone. Like, let me make that clear. The, ha the house, not the hospital. Like, and he's talking about the the mattress. Mm. It's like, why do we even have that? Like, you didn't. Like, well, no, just... but because that's that's why the okay. The reason we have that is because replacement Steve, Doctor Steve, overhears it, and that's what makes him suspicious to break into his house. But you could have done it a bit less. Bump like what's the word I'm looking for? Well, clunky. Less, it's cl yeah. it's clunky dialogue for sure, and it's clunkily directed that scene. I do agree. Yeah, I I, I wrote down a, a line. So obviously he brings Julia back to life, and like uh, he's all into it. 
you know, it seems like these like flesh monsters seem to have some sort of like supernatural allure. Um, By the way, speaking about having no skin, doesn't that make them like really like not immune to like bacteria and shit? Wouldn't they just die? Because well, like, but, they're, but they're not quite human, are they? They're sort of undead. Yeah, but still, that's the main point of skin, isn't it? To like protect you from uh, that, that is the flesh. point. That is the point of skin. Yes. So, like, yeah, I was wondering. Oh, I, I, I here's another thing because obviously it's not all flesh as well. That it's like a lot of it's bone with exposed stuff, right? Mm. And there's a there's a bit where so that like he essentially bandages her so they can like kiss and like fuck basically. And he touches her up, like up her ass and stuff and her boobs. And I was thinking, but surely she doesn't have anything to... To feel with. To grab hold of, yeah. I, I didn't it, really... I wasn't really clocking on to that. I was like, no, I don't I don't buy that at all. It's just like fucking meat, isn't it? it but it, some of it would just be bone. Yeah. We're, but... we're grabbing up bone. What is going? That's weird. It's just like being a weirdo at the supermarket and start squeezing the meat in the meat section, and then you get arrested or some shit. Like it's there's that kind of level of creepiness. I don't know. Like I I, I got to ask, uh, if you like, let's say you love someone very much. So your wife, for example. So if your wife had no skin, how would you handle that? I don't know. You think you'd be able to like? Feel her up and stuff, and kiss her and stuff like they do in this film. Because I, I'd be, I'd be very much like, I'm sorry, sweetie, but <laughs> I, I can't even look at you. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get me into trouble. Uh, uh, what do you mean? If I didn't have skin, you wouldn't. What's, what's... Yeah, and even again, it makes you more. It would be more sense. It'd be easier to damage yourself on like basic shit. Like people underestimate how your skin is just like protecting you. Like if you bump into the corner of a desk or something, you could fucking cut open your fucking muscle or some shit. But your yeah. skin stops you. Like you're so fragile like that. Absolutely. But th- th- this is what I was saying earlier. That like around this flat, we do see her like bloody meatiness getting scattered all over the apartment because it's like white walls, white flooring. So Mm. it really accentuates how much of a mess she is leaving around. And like the, why would you give her a white suit though? I know. You're an idiot. That is like the dumbest that you give her a black suit. Yeah. Hide the bloodstains a little bit. Come on. Why on earth? did you think it was a good idea to like, Oh, I'm cold. I need some clothes. Okay. I have a white suit. (laughs) And let me dress you in my white living room in the white suit. Just so dumb. So dumb. Anyway, that's why I think there must be some sort of supernatural allure because a real sane human being just couldn't handle that. Yeah. And I think the, the supernatural side of it, we did. We kind of talked a bit about it before, like in the previous film, like how um, you can suck the life. They're using their fingers or whatever at the back of their heads and sucking the life out of them and like becoming more human. Um, but yeah, like 
to just to, just to do that, wherever the fuck that is, mm. is supernatural. But I'm not sure, apart from that, what other gains they get from it. I'm not sure. Do you think they're stronger than a regular person or not? I mean, I assume so. They can, like, shove their hand into the back of your skull. Yeah. You know. And By the do, way... And later on, Julia rips out Frank's heart. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. But listen... Uh, have you watched the other Hellraiser movies? Well, I was going to bring this up at the end. Uh, I've seen the third one for sure, and I mm. remember bits of it. But and I've seen one or two of the other ones that I don't remember because they're terrible. So apart from Pinhead being the main centerpiece, do they ever have this whole? I don't know how you call these people. These kind of zombie uh, flesh suckers. Like, do they have these in the other films, or is it just these two? You have these people coming back from life. I really feel like it's just these two, because, as I say, the only one I really remember anything about is the third one. So uh, at the end of this film, there's like a big scare at the end where you think everyone's been defeated, but then this big, giant sort of monolith box comes out of the bed and it's got like the faces of everyone who've been like involved in the story and stuck in hell thus far. And Pinhead's face is in the center of it. And the movie just ends. Well, the third movie, that like structure is the center point of the third movie. And Pinhead is this like, he can speak to you from inside this thing. So he's telling you like he'll he'll help you like grant wishes or some bollocks if they can get him out. I forget now exactly the details. But the third one was not I remember not liking it at all. And uh it was just too far removed from the first two. And again, the second one, I because I, I remember saying to you, maybe we should do a double feature on Hellraiser because I think Hellraiser 2 is one of the few sequels that are actually pretty decent in horror movies. Often they, they sort of fall that often quality quite quickly. But I think, and I, I will stand by that, but it's definitely nowhere near as good as the first one. But I do think this is a very acceptable sequel. More than acceptable. I think this is very a good sequel. It's not great. The first movie's great. This one's like good fun. It's mm. good fun. And it's got some really good ideas. Yeah, I can't argue with that. The, the reason I asked about the, the meat the meat people, if you want to call it, I don't know, what should we call these guys? Like Frank and Julia when they come back let's to just, life. Let's, let's call them meat people. Meat people then. Uh, or the, the skinless. The skinless, yeah. The, the skinless is better. Uh, the skinless characters, I find them so much more interesting than... Um, yeah. The Cenobites, to be honest. That's just mm. me, maybe. Because I think there's probably people that really like going into the mythology of the Cenobites and how they work and stuff. And that's cool. That's all well and good. But for me, I really just like watching the skinless oh. go about and do their skinless shit. Yeah, no, this, the, I'll tell you that in the third one, I don't think there's any skinless people. I remember there's a Cenobite that looks like he's got like CDs in him. <laughs> A bit weird. I I think the Cenobites are way more centre focused, and they're doing a lot more like killing people. 
Yeah. But like, I seem to remember them like ambushing someone on a motorbike or something. It sounds so, so stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. It get they get really dumb really fast. That's really sad, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, look, where are we in the story? Um, so we've talked about Julia being patched up, and oh yeah, so Julia's they're definitely back. fucking. They're definitely fucking, and uh, Kirsty insists on with the because the doctor busts her out because he's gotten confirmation, and then she's like, "Well, let's go to the house," and he's like, "Don't go there," and she's like, "No, we're going there." So they go there. And then while they're looking around, they split up like idiots who you shouldn't split up. But fine, they split up. He goes into like the sort of meat room with all the people on the hooks. Uh, but like Julia's there and she sucks it off and gets his life force. And then Kirsty discovers that Julia's back. And I've written this line. She goes... She, I think she hits her, and then she goes, take your best shot, so what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, some, some more mind-blowing dialogue right there. Yeah. Amazing, Oscar-worthy dialogue. Um, and then this is when they get Puzzle Girl involved to open the puzzle box, to open the door to the Cenobites. And then Pinhead says uh, that line that I said earlier where he's like, it's not hands that calls us, it is desire. And then Kirsty, uh, when she discovers that the, like, the door's been opened to the Cenobite land, uh, she decides, oh, I'm going to go look for my dad. Oh, yeah, because we haven't mentioned she got a vision of her dad calling out for help, saying, I'm trapped in hell. Yeah. So, she, so she's been obsessed on this idea that because her dad got killed by like supernatural causes, he's been trapped in this hellscape of a world where all the Cenobite people are. Cenobite. Um, but as it turns out, we'll find out later that it's actually Frank that's uh, putting these thoughts in her head. And that's why, you know, the, the, the course of events for Kirsty was set into play. He wanted her to come down. We'll find out later, but it's because of uh, the kind of hell he's living in. But we'll get back to that. Um, yeah. Um, and I was going to say something uh, there. Oh, um, go on. The reason, so you notice there's no Larry in this movie. Yeah. I did read, actually, that he didn't like the script, the actor. So it was originally, oh. he was supposed to come back. Um, but they just ended up cutting that because he he didn't like the film. I mean, in all fairness, like it's not like he was as good as Brandy Quaid. So no. I, I, I don't I think I feel like if I was him, it would be like, you know what, this is probably the only movie I'll ever be in again. Cause I'm not very good. Shall we look up this actor who played Larry and find out how prolific let's, he's been? Let's find Larry. But yeah, uh, Puzzle Girl gets lost in that hell carnival at that point, and they have some like really cool shit going on. And I, the, there's a, a bit that I wrote down. They got the fetus that's sewing its own mouth shut. Yeah, but you know what? To be honest, I'll tell you this, and maybe people will think I'm a dickhead, 
but I really just lost interest around this point of the film. It just felt oh, really? like, yeah, like as soon as they enter hell, I just really just like, meh. I, I really, my, well, my interest nosedived. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. We do see an awful lot more of like the hell world. Um, but th this is where we get some more like inanimate objects bleeding, by the way, that I mentioned earlier. I do like that shit. Um, but like, yeah, as we're getting more Cenobite shit. Like we're, we're, we learn, well, we've already learned about Pinhead at the beginning, but this is about the time it comes back around as well. But also yeah. we're learning that there are other sort of like different kinds of entities in this hellscape. We've got this God called Leviathan. So like Julia takes, uh, Julia takes the doctor, whatever his name is. Chadard. Um, Chadard. And like he, she introduces him to this big fucking thing in the sky, uh, and she's like, "This is my god, Leviathan," and he sent me. He allowed me to come back so I can bring him souls. And then that's when the doctor is like put into like the transformation box. So, because I, I I had a note down, and I've realised as you know what afterwards, but like the note I got down is why aren't the Cenobites and the Dr. Cenobite working together, why do they end up having a conflict? Because surely they're the same, but uh, clearly not. There seems to be some kind of either hierarchy or they're just different factions of demons in this hellscape. I don't know. The, the politics or the just the general economical social socio-economical system that they have <laughs> it's not clear yeah like i also found it strange how like because i i my assumption was that levathian or whatever how you pronounce it uh, is also the leader of the cenobites so surely the cenobites and julia then they should be on the same side the same team as well but... right but it, it's not that way, it seems. Or it, maybe... It seems that they're different, like totally different. It's like sectors of a religion that are fighting against each other, or, it, or maybe the Le like Protestant is... and Catholics. Exactly, yeah. Or like maybe the Levathian enjoys watching them fight or something. I don't know. Mm. It, it's strange. I, I did like that when the, the Cenobites corner Kirsty when she first arrives, they let her go not because uh, they are, like, being nice to her. They're like, hey, look, you know, you're not going to find your dad here. So we've got an eternity to fuck about with you. So you know what? You go have a look around because you can't escape. But then Kirsty discovers, like, a sexy room where the bed sheets are, like, haunted by sexy ghosts. Mm. Do you think that they're... Well, because uh, this is revealed to be Frank's personal hell. Women that are begging to be fucked, but every time he takes the the blanket off, they disappear. So always begging for him, always teasing him, but he's never able to to do anything about it. But I, I think, I, I've got a feeling you were going to say this, but I, I've got a feeling these are women that he's hurt in real life before his... Uh, Cinnabite time. 
Mm, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I was wondering, do you think that there, because uh, the whole thing is about pleasure and pain, pain. Mm. do you think that they're uh, having a pleasurable experience or do you think that they're ha- not having a pleasurable experience? I wasn't sure, like, because you could look at them, the way they're moving under the well, covers. But- are, are they... Is it pleasure or something else? I don't know. I, I feel I feel like the movie. I feel like both of these movies make such an active effort to say that to these people, to these entities, to the to, to everyone in this plane, pleasure and pain are interchangeable, cannot be distinguished anymore. So uh, I don't think it really matters. Mm, fair enough. Well, it, it I feel. It's, it's, I feel like it's probably done in such a way that you are watching it thinking, are they in pain or are they in pleasure? Yeah, I'd say it's both because they're doing it at one point. They're all bloody as well as if they're, as if they are being attacked. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right. A bit of a mix. Mm. Um, So then this is when we find out that Frank was baiting Kirsty with these visions, and then uh, Kirsty torches the place, but she does kiss him because he's getting all pervy because he's only lured her down there so he can have someone to like shag. Basically, he says this that like my hell is that I can't have sex with any of these women. Yeah, so that's why I needed you to come. I, so. I, I, I had one line. Where did I have it? Uh, it's where was it? Oh, damn it! The Uncle Frank is back, and so is incest. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when she torches the place, uh, Frank Frank has his uh, face melted off, so we get like the effects from the old film again. In case you missed those, um, and then like. Uh, Julia rocks up and pulls his heart out, and that's the end of the Frank cameo. Yeah, and I think we don't get any more Frank and Julia in the other films, do we? By the way, not sure. I'd have to double check. Yeah, um, yeah, and that was yeah. So then, yeah, uh, what's her name? Kirsty's pretty much like needs to escape from hell. We got our new Cenobite and, on... and, and Puzzle Girl. And Puzzle Girl, because she got tricked into there. By the way, I looked into her. Her name is Imogen Borman. She's a British actress. She looks uh, familiar. I thought so as well. I thought I swear I know this girl from somewhere. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I think she's in like a lot of soap operas back in the UK after oh, this. And apparently, I was looking at her private life on Wikipedia, and she had a lot of problems with alcohol, like driving under the influence mm. of kids in the back and shit. So, yeah. Okay. Not ideal. Not ideal. Scarier than the film. Um, do you want to talk about, because I'm sure you have a lot to say on this, the Chenard special effects at this point? Our Chenard satellite. So, so yeah, Ch- Chenard, what, what should we... So, we've, we've got skid, the skinless... We've got Cenobites. What are we going to call this doctor? I don't know. He got some special treatment. He got some shit on his head and some uh, he, special powers. He, he's like plugged into the Matrix. So he 
He's been tortured to this point of like Cenobite level, maybe Super Saiyan Cenobite. Maybe we call him Super Saiyan Cenobite. Uh, bit of a mouthful. <laughs> um, and like, then when he emerges from the box, this like big, weird, fleshy, sucky thing plugs into the back of his head like the Matrix. And then he can now fly as long as he's attached to this thing. And he's like flying around. This thing must be really long because he covers ground with this shit as well. Mm. Um, and then we cut to Julia and the Kirsty and the Puzzle Girl, and they're getting sucked into a vortex. I forget where the vortex came from, but they're getting sucked into a vortex. Oh, and yeah. then what was up Ju with that? I forget I forget what was going on with that, but Julia's holding the puzzle box and then uh, Puzzle Girl tries to help her for some fucking reason and then her skin is left in Puzzle Girl's hand and her the rest of her insides get sucked out into the vortex, leaving her skin and the puzzle box which will come back into play later in the plot for some fucking reason. Um, then uh, the doctor does something. I forget now the super Saiyans Cenobite. Th this is when we get like the, the showdown. So the Cenobites just rock up and it's like, ah, oh, Kirsty, enough foreplay. It's time for the pleasures. And, uh, but then the super, but she like reminds Pinhead of who he is and reminds all of them oh. that they were once human. Hate this scene. And then the, the Super Saiyan Cenobite shows up and then they have like a showdown. And this showdown is so anticlimactic. It's so disappointing. So like Pinhead transforms back into his human version and he looks at the girls and is like, Get out of here. Even though he was going to fucking kill them and like, well, not kill them, but torture them into pleasure for the rest of eternity. But now he's like, new sense of heart. Oh, actually, you can go because you reminded me I'm human. And then it looks like he's going to have a really cool, badass showdown. And all that happens is Super Saiyan Doc, a tentacle comes out of him. I assume it's one of his fingers. Um, and like a scalpel comes out, he just slits his throat. Yeah, and you'd expect more. You'd expect something with chains or some shit, something more painful. But mind you, isn't that isn't pleasure also pain? Aren't the lines a bit well, yes. blurred? The lines are blurred. It's just that I wanted something more climactic. You expected like, something you, more from that. You've est you've established the power level of these god level beings, and then you get a Super Saiyan Cenobite. Like, so we're, we're meant to assume he's way, way more powerful. And, you know, so you would expect them a far more climactic climax. But it's just like one quick slit. And, you know, it's seemingly not even enough of a distraction to get the girls out anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so quick, especially when it, you consider it's Pinhead the center point of this franchise, you would have liked to have seen him be a bit more badass. Um, and yeah. then, and then what happens? Cause we've got this other thing 
they, they, yeah, they they go to the Leviathan. They go to that really like I quite like the 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 landscape of that area where the Leviathan is, and they go there, and then the Doctor attacks them. Sorry, the Super Saiyan Cenobite attacks them, and then Julia shows up out of nowhere, distracts them, uh, distracts him by kissing him, so Puzzle Girl can quickly do the puzzle. Uh, and she does the puzzle a bit differently, if I remember correctly. It makes it more like the shape of the Leviathan, if I'm correct, yeah. right? Like it well, becomes no, it, it, like no, a crystal it, kind of shape. It became that earlier. She's got to get it back into the cube. Ah, see, this is really like, I, I, I feel bad because, I, like I said, I watched this twice, but I really struggle to remember. Like this bit, this, it, this, whole, this whole part of the film just really didn't appeal to me very much. No, it, it's a bit... It's it's mad, but they're not as mad as you need it to be. Yeah, to keep you keep to keep you drawn to it, you know. It's yeah, like that should have been Pinhead versus Mega Doc, like big climax, tiny climax, and then well, to be fair, this bit she kisses him, Julia kisses him, Thingy does the the puzzle, and then the Leviathan freaks out, and the the thing that's on the Doctor's head rips off the top of his head. Now that mm. was I like that. That was fun, cool effect. And then it turns out that um, Julia isn't Julia. It's Kirsty that's put on Julia's skin. Yeah, was left behind. I felt I I thought that was a bit stupid. That of was course, a bit like fuck. It was sake. dumb as fuck. Dumb as fuck. And then you think the movie's over, but then the big this other sort of giant you know, almost a grandfather clock-like structure bursts out of the mattress. And yeah. I think, I think the two removal men who've come to pick that up are the same two from the first they are. one. I have that yeah. same note. They're the same guys. Or at least one of yeah. them is the same. The guy with the eyebrows, for sure. Yeah. The same guy. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I found the second one, yeah, like I said, a bit tiring. I really don't remember. Yeah. Like I, I struggle to remember bits of it, and it's bad. I feel bad that I struggle with it. The, uh, the thing is, I, I think this one is more, it's more the effects, really, that they go harder on. They go harder on the, the sort of gore element, and I think they do a lot of stuff really well. Like there's some, Like I say, some great ideas. I like the idea of, you know, seeing a Cenobite. Seeing the creation of a Cenobite, I quite like the, the the way it was done minimally. There are problems with it, but I did like the concept. I like the idea of like having like different kinds of Cenobites, gods within this hellscape. I liked a lot of the ideas of the world building. I just prefer if they didn't do it. I think if only... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, like the, I like the ideas of it, but... Just don't, yeah, don't do that, please. Well, well, I, I think we've both made the point already that, like, when you're fleshing out this world, it better be damn good. Otherwise, why ruin the the structure of the first one? The first one was so well done, you know. Why don't we just keep having more flesh people, the skinless, instead of like, because this is where we go really deep into the Cenobite stuff. And yeah, you know, I, I, I don't really, you know, as much as I like some of the ideas. I'd have rather it be a, a, another minimal idea. You know, maybe Kersey could have stayed trapped in the mental asylum 
for the majority of the movie. Maybe Julia is now trying to get to Kirsty. You just do a sort of smaller plot that, you know, you only go super big, you know, when the Cenobites show up and they only come in sort of fleetingly, you know, that mm. I would have much preferred. I agree. But I, but I do like some of the ideas I, and I do like a lot of the effect. I love the bursting out of the bed. That sequence is great with the guy with the maggots. I love that whole sequence. I thought it was really genuinely scary. I do like the idea of the Super Saiyan Cenobite. Uh, but I hate giving Pinhead a backstory. I really and, don't like that. And I have a note somewhere that the Cenobites are too forgiving and helpful in this film, which I really think is yeah. just against what they should be. Yeah. Yeah, I totally give you that. Totally give you that. Yeah. And also, this film, I think, really misses... I don't know why Barker wasn't involved in, so much in the second one. Because from what I understood, he wanted originally to make... Uh, movies from from these books, so I don't know why he took a step back. Uh, I think he was also still producer. He gave the story, but what? then didn't direct and write it. And it really misses his uh, touch, at least with so the dialogue. Are there, are there other books? I think there might be. I think there's a whole series, but I I think I'd be that interested to read them then. Yeah, but I think that the the rest of the films go very far from, yeah, from where yeah. it started. Oh, I, I, I can imagine, yeah. No, I'd rather read Clive Barker's vision of, of the way the franchise should have went. Yeah. And what else have we got? i got a few more notes. Um, uh, so you mentioned in the previous film, you really liked the, 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 the music, the soundtrack. Yes. Uh, this film has a slightly different soundtrack. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, Stranger Things, actually. Some of the music is so like Stranger uh, Things. I think it was a big influence on that. I didn't actually I'm really think about it until... I'm still yet to watch it, man. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And it's this whole thing in this place called The Upside Down. And I'm wondering if yeah. they took some influence from... Um, I guess it's hell in this world where the I Cenobites mean, it live. Make, it makes sense. I mean, this is definitely not the only... A franchise of movies that talk about, or TV shows even, that do like opening up gateways to hell. You know, it's it's been done since, and it was done before. You know, but the, I, I suppose this is probably the one that's uh, like Stranger Things is probably the most popular one of a modern example, and Hellraiser would be a more classic example of it. Mm. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah need to find that again and watch it so good um did also you find any information about that actor i did actually yeah so his name is andrew robinson he looks like now he's like 81 he looks so much like that actor from england who i forgot his name who was in he was, do you remember in, oh, this is really, this is a long shot. Did you used to watch Only Fools and Horses? Yeah. Do you remember the, the dodgy police officer that was in a few episodes? Uh, dodgy police officer. He's played by a very well-known actor. Uh, Jim Jim Broadbent. This guy yeah, like, Jim this, Broadbent, yeah. Yeah, Andrew Robinson, at least in the picture on Wikipedia, looks a lot like Jim Broadbent, actually. Um but he's been in uh, lots of like random stuff. His first film is actually 1971, 
uh, Dirty Harry. He plays the bad guy. He plays the serial yes! killer. Yes! Yes, that's where I recognise him from. He's Scorpio. Yeah. Oh, fuck, yes. Oh, oh, that's just like, it's just clicked in my head. It's been bugging me. Where do I know him from? Yes. Dirty Harry. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. And he's great in that, actually. Yeah, I, I really liked him when he was like kind of screaming and a bit, uh, I don't know. There was one point where Dirty Harry almost gets him and he's like panicking for his life. And I really liked that. Um, yeah. That level to him. He's also, by the way, uh, so it says on Wikipedia, he's usually typecast as psycho characters. Um, and he was also in uh, Child's Play 3, apparently, in 1991. Uh, but oh, who, who's he in Child's Play 3? He's like a sergeant or some, some police officer. Oh, yes. Yeah, because Child's Play 3 is at a military school. Mm. Yeah. Apart from that, he's most he's been in like a lot of TV stuff. He was in a, the A Team. He was in Law and Order, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really look like he went anywhere like massive after mm. uh, his stint in Hellraiser, really. But he's still so, well known. He's still well known. But how many? Uh, Rubik's Cube squares out of 54 do you give this one? Bearing in mind we gave the first one 47. I'm going to give it about hmm I'm going to give it about, about 30. Oh, I was, I was just going to say the same. Yeah, I'll give it 30 as well. Yeah, it's 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 about midway. I mean, it's a mid it's a mid-ranking level film like Mm. In my, I'm going to say as well for IMBD, I'm putting it about a six, maybe. Yeah, I'd give it a six as well for IMDb. Six, six point five, maybe. You six point five feels high for me, but six at I'll, least, yeah. I'll, I'll go six point five because I am more generous than you. Yeah, do you want to know what the real rating is? Because I had it up a second ago, but I think I lost so the tab. You said the first one was six point nine, so I'm going to hazard a guess that this one is like. 6.2 let's see maybe even a 6 so yeah hellraiser 1987 was 6.9 hellbound is 6.4 6.4 not a huge drop off no not really actually but still, I, I don't put them in the same ballpark, really. No, not at all. Not at all. It, it, it's more, it's less about this one's rating. It's more about the first one being so underrated on IMDb. Mm, criminally. Mm, very much so. All right, then. Well, thanks for coming in up to listen to us, everyone. We are Film Shrapnel. And this has been Hellraiser 1 and 2, a, a double feature that has been a bit of a mountain to climb. But we've gotten there. Craig, I've enjoyed it. I've really liked this one, yeah. Really fun. Even the second one, I've, I've enjoyed watching it. Good laugh yeah. I've had with this. Uh, do come and follow us on Twitter, or the app formerly known as Twitter, at Film Shrapnel, capital F, capital S. And uh, Craig, do you want to say anything to the lovely listeners? Uh, yeah, just keep listening to us. Uh, we love putting this stuff out. If you guys like it, it makes us happy to see people listening. 
Um, next yes, week indeed. we have Audition, our final film for Horror Month uh, on Halloween. Um, so yeah, yeah well, stay tuned for that. Yeah, that's your homework, guys, for next week if you haven't seen Audition. Oh yeah, watch the what if you can watch it before we put it out, and then yeah, you're gonna have so much more context. Um, And then we're doing for November, I think I mentioned this probably in the previous pod, uh, Shit Movie Month. Uh, Shit Movie Month, yeah. Still deciding the lineup, uh, but it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. I'm going to get so pissed off, uh, but I'm going to enjoy it, I think, as well. Well, well, this is it, guys. You know, if you follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter, you will get all of these announced before they get uploaded. And that way you really can... Uh, follow along with us and make sure that you've watched the film before you listen to us. Yeah, 100%. All right, until next time, guys, enjoy your lobotomy. Bye. Bye. Bye.